Hello everyone and welcome to Celtic Preacher Podcast 43. And this is a talk that I gave on Easter Sunday morning. And uh, of course, Easter Sunday is a big deal in the in the church, in the Christian church. It's a big deal because uh, it's all about resurrection. It's about, of course, Jesus who was dead is, finds out, He's alive on uh, Easter morning, what we've come to call Easter morning. And uh, so it's a huge deal. But before we get to this empty grave and and why it is such a big deal, I'm going to back up a little bit. You know, I was thinking about this. It doesn't make a whole lot of sense until you have a little bit of background in the past. You know, when you join a TV series, and let's say you've watched series one and you've watched series two, and let's say... You're watching TV, and it's a brand new third series. So you click on, and you usually get a review of what's happened in series one and series two, right? And it helps you. Oh, yeah, yeah, I remember what's happened here. So you kind of catch up. Well, in some ways, I just thought about this on Easter morning. Um... If Jesus' life was a four-series part, series one would be all about his birth. That would be the Christmas story, right? It would be about his birth and his baptism because that kicks off the ministry and all he's teaching. That would be season one. And then season two would be what we call, what the church has called Holy Week, which is basically the last week of his life moving into his death on what we've come to call Good Friday. And then season three would be all about this resurrection. The one that we thought was dead is alive. And how does that affect all his followers? I mean, that's quite a story in and of itself. And actually, there'd even be a season four because it would be about the book of Revelation and where God's going. But that's a whole other, that's a whole other story there. But so I want to just go back a little bit to what happened on Thursday night. I'm not going to go that. I'm not going to go back too far. I'm just going to go back to Thursday night. I want to go back to season two. I want to go back to Holy Week before we get into this whole idea of resurrection and new life. And why would that make any difference to us two thousand years ago? That's really the the big thing about resurrection is is like it's like you always want to ask yourself. In anything, so what? Yeah, that's a great phrase. Just ask the question. When you you read a passage in the Bible or you hear someone read a passage, it's like, well, so what? What difference does it make? So even the Easter resurrection story is like, well, okay, so what? What difference does it make? Well, hopefully we're going to unpack that a little bit. But going back to the Thursday night, what we've come to call Holy Week. On Thursday night, now remember, Jesus is is arrested on the Thursday night, and remember, he he gets crucified, which is basically executed on the cross, and he dies on the Friday. Now, the execution is just a very common way, 2,000 years ago, that the Roman Empire would get rid of people that they found threatening in any way. So, Thursday night, before he's arrested, before any of that happens, Jesus is with his friends, he's with his disciples, his students, 
And he tells them that he would soon leave them. He knew that the time of his death was near. And sure enough, on Thursday night, he's arrested. After a mock trial, he's sentenced to death by crucifixion. Now, he knew that this would eventually happen. He knew that his death would eventually happen. He knew his arrest would happen. He knew the disciples would be overwhelmed with fear when it happened. He knew that they would be thrown into confusion and grief. And so what he did was, is that he told them quite a few times in advance, long before it happened, he said to them, you need to know that when we go to Jerusalem, I will die, he said. But don't fear, because it's not the end. I'll be raised up. Now, there's a couple, there's many ways to read these lines. You could read it and say, well, that means that you can see into the future. You could read it that way. I am more inclined to think that it's intuition because um, you kind of know, like, for example, if you're in a job and it's not going well and you feel like you might get fired, you can't. You kind of know in advance, I'm not going to be here this much longer. I, I think I'm out. Or let's say you're in a relationship and it's not going very well. You think, you know what, this isn't going to last. If it keeps going on this way, if, if everything keeps going on as it's going, this, is, this relationship is going to end. It's in, intuition, right? I think that when Jesus said these things, um, I'm going to Jerusalem and I'll die, but don't fear it's not the end. I think a lot of it is, is intuitive. Not that I would argue the point in it. I wouldn't really probably argue the point in anything theological at this point, but um, I think maybe that that's one way to read it. And what he said was to his disciples, he said, I'm going to be raised up. Now, nobody paid any attention to that part, raised up. First of all, it was because what does that mean? Nobody had Nobody knew what it meant. And secondly, they're too shocked by the idea that harm could come to him, their beloved rabbi, their beloved teacher, their beloved friend. So when he told them again and again and again, each time, each time he told them that when they go to Jerusalem, he's going to die, but he's going to be raised up, they got frightened and they never, ever listened to the last part. They never listened. They could only hear the first part of a sentence. They could only hear, when I go to Jerusalem, I will die. And then nobody paid any attention after that. In fact, in some places, uh, even Peter wants to stop him and say, no, no, I don't want to hear this. Three times he said it to them, and three times they never heard it. You know, we only, we only hear what we want to hear. Isn't that interesting? Isn't that an interesting thing that we only hear what we want to hear? And we only see what we want to see. Something about that. So when he did die on Friday, uh, I'm skipping a lot of the story here. When he did die on Friday, he was uh, buried in a cave and the stone sealed the entrance. And all that happened on Friday. And the church has called that Friday Good Friday. Now, on Sunday morning, Easter, of course, is celebrated on Sunday morning. 
Nothing much happens on the Saturday. And the reason for that is, is that his friends, for the Saturday was called Sabbath. And there was no travel, there was no work on Sabbath. The ancient people were very uh, mindful of the rhythm of life. I mean, they really did have this time of work and rest and work and rest. Now, we've really messed that rhythm up a lot, I think, nowadays. Uh, We don't really have that, which is probably why we're so stressed, right? But the ancient people really uh, observed Sabbath. So nothing happens on the Saturday. So Sunday morning, now I'm giving you Matthew's version. There's actually, there's four versions of, of the Easter resurrection story. They're all slightly different because they're written by four different people and four different people have four different perspectives. Uh, I'm giving you Matthew's uh, account, his narrative. Um, Mark, you won't hear as much, I don't think, uh, on Sunday, on Easter Sunday in, in the church. Probably not, although it has an incredibly good ending, um, I think. And then we've also got, so we've got Matthew, Mark, and we've also got Luke's version and John. John's a real favorite one. But I'm, I'm looking at Matthew's version in this. So what happened in Matthew's version is, is that two of his friends come to the grave to mourn his death. And his two friends' name, the names of the two women are Mary. I know it's so confusing. There's so many Marys in his life. You've got Mary, his mother. You've got Mary Magdalene. You've got Mary, the sister of Lazarus. It is altogether too confusing. It must have just been a common name. I have no idea why there's so many Marys. But the two Marys come to the tomb on the Sunday morning. And they come to the place, the garden, where he's buried for the same reason that you and I would go to a grave. They're they're coming to grieve. It's a place to grieve. What else can you do, right? There's there's something about graves. Oftentimes people will go there and talk to their loved one there. I mean, even if you know that your loved one isn't there, it's, it's funny, people will go to graves and just talk because they somehow feel more connected. So these, these friends, to the two Marys, they're going to the, the grave for that reason. And Matthew tells us that when the women got to the grave, the earth starts to shake, starts to, to reel and it started to rock beneath their feet, which I like it's an earthquake, right? I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. The ground begins to shake And this messenger from heaven rolled back the stone. Now, sometimes angels, by the way, the word angel in the the New Testament Greek is messenger. So if you were to translate the word angel, it just means messenger. Now, in the scriptures, sometimes messengers look like very ordinary people. In other words, you wouldn't really pay much attention to them. Sometimes God's messengers pass for people, but not this one. This one, uh, in Matthew's account, this one is dazzling white. He's like shimmering snow white. And the earth begins to shake, and there's like this earthquake going on. And the guards that were there, 
who were there to guard the tomb so no one would steal the body. They just froze. They're just absolutely terrified. And this messenger appears and he moves the stone. Not so Jesus can get out, by the way, because Jesus isn't there. It's so that the women can peek into the cave to see there's nothing there. Well, actually, there is something there, but you have to look, you have to, you have to go to John's version for that. That's a whole other story. It's kind of amazing. So the messenger moves the stone, and the messenger says, uh, "There's nothing to be afraid of. I know you're looking for Jesus, but he's not here. He was raised. He was raised, just as he said, just as he said." What a great line this is. <laughs> Just as he said. It's like the messenger is saying, well, uh, he, he told you that he wasn't going to be here, right? We're in Matthew 28, by the way, if you want to read this text. Matthew 28, 1 through 10. I'm just giving you the highlights. What a great phrase. What? Just as he said. It's like, you're not expecting her to be here, are you? Why would he be here? This is a grave. He told you he would die on the cross. And in three days he would be raised up. He's not here. He's not here. He went off to Galilee. Oh, and he'll see you there. That's my message. That's what I have to tell you. He's gone on ahead of you. Well, at this point in the story, the women feel two things. They feel fear and joy. Fear as an, as an awestruck. And, and joy as in never in my wildest dreams. Now, the, this whole idea of never in my wildest dreams, all of the accounts, everyone's, all the disciples, the men and the women, all of them, they're all like, never in my, I, I never considered for a moment that this would ever, ever happen. So everybody is shocked and amazed, and it's like, I, I, kinda, I just can't hardly believe this. So the women leave the empty tomb, they, they leave the messenger sitting there on the stone, the guards are still there, frozen with shock, numb, traumatized. It was just too much for them. There's this earthquake, there's this shiny bright messenger, there's, a, there's this open grave, it's just too much catatonic shock. And it will, be more their, it will be more than their jobs that will be lost when their boss finds out, right? Because it was their job to guard that and make sure that nothing would happen to that body, that nobody would steal that body. And the tomb's empty. So the women leave the grave, and on their way back to the other disciples, the other students, they meet Jesus on the road. And he says, and the word in the ancient language is kario, which is, how are you? I looked this word up. It's just a, there's nothing unusual about it. I mean, it's the normal, everyday word that you would used 2,000 years ago, when you meet someone on the road, you go, hey, hi, how are you doing? How are you? Greetings. Huh? Isn't that great? It's just another day for Jesus. And the women are overcome and fall at his feet. But Jesus says, don't be afraid. Angels say this a lot, and Jesus says this a lot, I think, when, when you look at this in the scripture, all the time, every time you meet. Don't be afraid. He says, I'm going to Galilee Go tell the brothers. Go tell the guys. I'll meet you all. I'll meet you all in Galilee. 
Now, there's a lot more to the story, but and I don't have time to... I'll give you some more next week. Uh, but that's enough for just now. Otherwise, we'll be here forever. There's so many life-giving lessons in these ancient, inspiring uh, texts, but I want to lift up one truth, that if you've never heard it before, to say it can change your life is not an exaggeration. If you've heard it but you've forgotten it, it will be a great encouragement to you. Now, if this was the story about a man called Jesus who died 2,000 years ago and then by some amazing event God uh, resurrected him, raised him up from the dead, and then that was the end of it, well, you know, it would be amazing if we believed it and it would be a miracle if we believed it, but, I mean, honestly, what difference would it make to me and you 2,000 years later? Right? I don't think it would make much difference at all. I mean, it's like hearing, it's like, it's like reading uh, healing stories, uh, accounts in the New Testament, or in the Old Testament, the First Testament. It's like, okay, well, that's great for them. What about me? What about me? The life-changing part of the story is, Jesus says to the women, I'm going ahead of you, and I'll meet you there. I'm going to Galilee, and I'll meet you there. It's like, okay, where are you going, Jesus? I'm going ahead of you. Ahead of who? The disciples? No, no. It's bigger than that. It's much more than that. Ahead of the two Marys who came to the tomb? It's bigger than that. It's much, much more than that. It's like he's saying, ahead of you, ahead of me, ahead of us. I'm going on ahead of you. You coming? Will you join me? Will you join me? One of his favorite, Jesus' favorite phrases was, will you follow? As in, will you come with me? Will you walk with me? It's like an invitation to meet him and, and partner with him and be joined with him and live your life with him. So it's not, it's not so much... It's not about following a dead man's teaching of 2,000 years ago. Even though his teaching is amazing and wise and it is totally life-giving. Um, I mean, his teaching covers everything we need to change the world. He spoke about justice. He spoke about equality. He addressed poverty. He modeled nonviolence. He spoke about oppression. He, he spoke about the corruption of governments and leaders he spoke about forgiveness. He spoke about the need for peace and relationships and among people. I mean, his teaching is amazing. But following him is more than listening to or agreeing with his teaching. It's more than that. It's, it's about being partnered or joined, living your life with this alive Christ. It's, it's allowing, it's allowing uh, him to inform us and guide us and, and correct us. Now, to be honest, I mean, it's not always easy, right? Because the learning curve is steep here. How do you trust someone you can't see? How do you learn to listen when, when nobody's in front of you talking? How do you, how do you get guided when 
you have no clue how to hear God speak. Well, Jesus taught, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that because you'll have help with that. Uh, You were made for this. You were designed for this. You were made, you were made to walk with God. And that just, it's got echoes of Genesis in it. Remember Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the evening. It was like, were we made, this was what we were created for. We were made for this. We're designed. This is our design. We're designed to hear God's voice. We're designed to follow God's leading. In fact, one of Jesus' favorite phrases was, come follow me. And here he's saying, I'm going on ahead of you. Now, obviously, he's not going to meet us in Galilee, right? Unless somebody happens to be going to Galilee next week, right? Because chances are we're not going to be in Galilee. We'll be other places. The promise is exactly the same. I'm going ahead of you. I'll meet you there. Now, I know, of course, God isn't, uh, there's no time with There's no past, present, and future. God is all things and in all places. But for our sakes, this helps us try and get a handle on something that's too big for us, that is God's too big for us. It's like, I'm going on ahead of you and I'll meet you there. Whatever happens in our lives, whatever challenges, whatever hopes we have for the future, I'll meet you there. I'm already there, Jesus is saying. I'm already there. It's like we partner We're joined, we participate in, we get this resurrection power, this new life power. Yeah, it's like we're not just living our own life, slogging through life with our own strength here. It's like, no, you partner with me, you come with me. You're walking in resurrection power. I mean, it's like, how does that change your plans and your goals? It's like, you can think big, can't we? We can think big, right? It's like, would you like to make a difference in the world? You can think big. You've got this resurrection. Look who's with you, right? Where do you need to see this kind of power? This, This kind of life force, this kind of healing, this kind of second chance. Where do you need to experience this? Resurrection, it is a big deal. I mean, it's kind of pivotal to the whole idea of uh, following Christ and the whole whole faith tradition, really. I mean, when you think about it, how could you follow someone like Jesus without help? That would be crazy. How could you forgive without some kind of help? I, I I could never forgive without extra help. I just, it would be too hard. How could, you, how could you let go and not be dominated by getting even if that's your, your personality is inclined to, toward that? It would be impossible, wouldn't it? It's like Jesus is saying, okay, let's do life together. And what's mine is yours. What's mine is yours. Everything I've experienced, everything I have, you can have. You've seen me do it. Now let me help you. I'll help you access this. Kind of living this kind of power. New Testament calls it resurrection power. Actually, the word um, power in the book of Acts 
dunamis. It's where we get the word dynamite. Isn't that great? It's where we get the word dynamite. It's like, what do you need that kind of power for? Is there something bigger than you that you need that kind of power for? Yes, he says that's, that's resurrection power. There's, there's not a lot it can't do considering it raises up everything that's dead and beyond help. Right? There's not a lot it can't do considering it raises up everything that's dead and beyond help. Well, there's the heart cry. There's the prayer. There's the prayer. There's the Easter heart cry. Help me see your new life in everything. In everything. Especially the areas that seem beyond help. Beyond help. Beyond redemption. There's the church word. Beyond redemption. Beyond help. God specializes in stuff that's beyond help. Well, thank you for joining me. You've been listening to Celtic Preacher. Join with me again next week. Going to be looking at doubt next week. He's called Doubting Thomas. Yeah, he's like all of us. Have you ever met anyone that didn't doubt?